Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Listen, when Jesus shows up, welcome him in. (laughs) Welcome him in. Treat him the way he deserves to be treated. And that is as the King of kings and as Lord of lords, as your Savior. Trust in him. Place all your faith in him. He is good. He may not answer your prayers like you want him to answer your prayers or like you think he should answer your prayers. But he knows what's best for you. Today, Pastor James reminds us of the ways that Jesus was rejected in his own hometown. Despite his remarkable teaching in Nazareth, the people still found a reason to cast him off. The Bible tells us that Jesus marveled at their lack of faith, and we would do well to not follow the example of Nazareth. Rather than finding a reason to reject Jesus, we ought to trust in his goodness, especially when we don't understand why things are unfolding the way they are. But God is always good, and we can rest in that. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 6, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. visiting rabbis would be asked to read the scripture lesson and make whatever comments they felt were appropriate, right? Like some observations and interpretation kind of a deal. So this is Jesus. He shows up home. He has gained some sort of notoriety, some fame in this time period. And so when he shows up to the synagogue, and as is custom for him, he's going he's gonna to go to the synagogue and he's invited to read the scripture for that day. And so This lesson, the appointed lesson, which is like no coincidence at all, that the day he shows up to Nazareth, the the lesson for that's been designated for that day was would be Isaiah 61, verses one through two. Okay? So he's gonna read this portion of scripture and then he's gonna make like three points, right? Just like classic Baptist preacher, he's got his three points, probably a poem and all that good stuff, right? I'm just kidding. But he does make three points. But it says, verse 17 of Luke chapter 4, it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the year of Jubilee, right? Like this is, this is crazy. Like this is the year Jubilee has begun. So he's there. He sits in the synagogue. He, he unrolls the, the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he reads verses 1 and 2. And then he, his first pronouncement, his first little point is, this scripture has been fulfilled, right? It's fulfilled in him. He was anointed by the Spirit to minister to all kinds of needies, like all kinds of needy individuals. Everything that the Messiah was going to do, Jesus is letting them know, I am that Messiah. And, and these things will be happening by my hands, right? And so it's just, it's amazing, amazing this, like he, he has this authority. 
he has this tremendous authority and he just reads it and he's like, today in your presence, this scripture has been fulfilled, right? Like he's like, this is me. This is who it's talking about. The second little point that he, that he makes to his, his hometown people, they know who he is, right? They know this is Jesus. And, and we'll see that in a second, how they respond to him. Second one is that, that point that he made about the year of Jubilee had begun, Right? So the, the year of the Jubilee, and that's referenced in Leviticus 25, verse 8. It's when everything in Israel was restored to its proper place. Now, he, he leaves off, as Warren Wiersbe notes in his commentary concerning Luke, he leaves off the day of vengeance of our Lord, for that day is yet to come. So he doesn't include that yet. And then Wiersbe goes on to say that he announced that all of this was by the grace of God, and then he gave two examples from Jewish history to prove that God showed mercy to the Gentiles. Those are found in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings chapter 5. The first two points, as Wearsby says, were acceptable to the congregation. They really were vibing with those first two points, right? Like they loved that. They loved those two pronouncements. It's like sweet, answered prayer, right? And freedom. However, on the third, not so much. They wanted none of God's blessings to go to the Gentiles, right? They, w- they wanted none of those blessings to go to the Gentiles at all. They wanted to keep those for themselves. This is Christ's words of grace. This is Wearsby again, for tolerable, but not his words of judgment. For his statement concerning this, they, they, they wanted to kill him. And in fact, they, they tried to. Look, I mean, it says right here, it says, verse 20 of Luke chapter 4, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And they were just amazed. They're like, how can a carpenter's son speak with such great authority, such clarity, so powerfully? They were, they were not used to this at all because most other rabbis who showed up never spoke with much authority at all. In fact, they were, they were known for quoting other rabbis, Right? And they may read the portion of scripture, but then they would spend probably most of their time talking about what Rabbi so-and-so has said. And, and this rabbi over here had said, not uncommon to our day and age in which we, which we live with, with church services, if we're honest. It seems like a lot of church services, I can't say all of them, because not all of them, it's not true universally, but it seems like a good handful of church services and the scripture portion of the service, which has diminished over time. We, we put way more emphasis on the, the worship, quote unquote, side of, of the service, right? The big concert with the lights and the fogs and the laser shows and the let's just try to attract the world into church, but we're really, we're not attracting the world at all into the church. We're just attracting other Christians from other churches into our churches. Doesn't seem that all that effective to me. But we make a big deal about that. And then when it does come time to the time for the service aspect or element of it, it's read a scripture and tell a bunch of stories. Not a lot of authority. Maybe drum up the crowd with emotion, 
right? And I can change the, you know, the levels of my, of my voice and I can just build up this passion and, and get you all fired up and, and not really saying anything at all, but get you standing on your feet and hooting and hollering and, you know, amen into this and to that. And you have no idea what you're amening, but my goodness, it, this guy's charismatic and powerful and all this good stuff, right? It's like, that's kind of what they were accustomed to probably without, not so much the show, but other rabbis standing in the pulpit, quote unquote, sharing a little bit of scripture, but spending most of their time quoting this person and that person and this. And, but Jesus was different. Jesus showed up, opened up the scroll, read the scriptures, and then commented on the scriptures and explained with clarity what the scriptures meant and how they were fulfilled that day right? Like it was just authority that he had. And that was like, it was, it captivated them. Their eyes were fixed on him. Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. Show us some miracles, Jesus. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and the great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in, the, in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, the Gentile, Syrian. And when they heard these things, this is that third point where they, they, they did not appreciate about Jesus. This is where he lost them. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff, intending to kill him. But passing through their midst, he went away, <laughs> right? So like they, they can't kill him and it, 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 it wasn't ever meant for them to do that anyways. You know, his, his life was in the father's hands and he had a mission to accomplish. However, it's interesting to note that that was his first encounter of going back home. He shows up, he reads the scripture, he, he expounds upon the scripture, and they're just like, this dude is awesome. And he's like, yeah, but let me go on a little bit more. Let me, let me expose something concerning your hearts as the nation of Israel. And he talks about Gentiles and how they received the blessings from God, and they did not like that. They, in fact, it just, it stirred up this wrath inside of them and they sought to kill him. But then he passes through their midst and then he goes on about his business. But he, that was his first homecoming. That's when he came home and that was the reception he had received. Now, Mark chapter six, if you turn back there, and this is, I'm going to jump back into the New Lumen translation. So the verb, the wordage is going to change a little bit, but it's still saying the same thing, just phrased a little bit differently. But chapter six, verses one through six is, it's all about this second time he goes, he goes back home. Verse one, it says, Jesus left that part of the country 
and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So this is the grace of God displayed to the people of Nazareth because he certainly didn't have to come back home. I mean, my goodness, the first time he showed up there, they tried to kill him. They'd be like me going back to Amarillo and I show up and, you know, oh man, preach the word and all that good stuff. But you said some things we didn't really like, so we're going to, you know, we're going to push you off the cliff of Polydor Canyon, right? And like, you would think I'd be insane to go back. But he goes back. Jesus goes back and that's his grace displayed to these people that I, I, I really do believe he still loved. And now it is important to note that, and Mark chapter 6 is going to let us know this, he still has family that lives in Nazareth. It says the next Sabbath, verse 2, he began teaching in the synagogue like he did, customarily so. And many who heard him were amazed. So again, this, you may be thinking like, well, this sounds a lot like that first story. So isn't this the same story? Two different stories. Two different stories. And a year's time has passed between these stories. So he shows up, he teaches in the synagogue, and once again, they hear him and they're like, they can't help but be captivated by his authority concerning the word of God. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So for sure, at this point in time, so first visit to Nazareth, I mean, he's like, came straight out of that temptation time period and then right to his hometown. But here, I mean, there's a year that's been passed. And so he has performed everything that he quoted to them from Isaiah chapter 61. He has been doing these things. So there is no denying. It says, where is he getting all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So word has gotten back to them and what Jesus was doing. Then they scoffed. So some within the crowd, maybe from that first visit, could be also some religious leaders intermixed within the group. They scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. He's just the carpenter, the son of a carpenter and of Mary, is, is what some manuscripts would say. He's a nobody born to two nobodies to individuals that don't really matter that much at all, just carpenters. Joseph was just a carpenter. It is interesting that on the second return, the first return, they were like, they identified him as the son of Joseph, right? But here on the second return, within Mark's account, they identify him solely as, depending on what manuscript you read, but within this, within this manuscript, they identify him as just the son of Mary. It could be an indication that maybe Joseph had passed away by this time. I don't really know. But for whatever reason, they identify him as just a carpenter, or they could be identifying him as the son of a carpenter, not naming Joseph, and of Mary. And remember their story. Joseph and Mary were betrothed to get married. Mary ends up getting pregnant, right? She, the baby Jesus is placed inside of her, Mary and Joseph had not come together, had not consummated the marriage at all because it hadn't happened yet, right? But they were just betrothed. They were heading in that direction. But then all of a sudden, Mary's pregnant. And so the rumors that were circulating around were that, well, they got together. They, they must have gotten together. And so, yeah, they're saying that this is a miraculous virgin birth. Yeah, right. 
We know the real story. That's kind of what was going on in Nazareth. That's, what Je- that's the environment that Jesus grew up in. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. This is a, and the brother of James and Joseph or Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. Right? And there's, they're saying, like, his sisters still live here among us to this day. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They, were, they, they took offense at him. I mean, he, he shows up and he, he preaches the word. He expounds upon the word again. And they're amazed by that. But, but man, they can't get past who he is. And maybe that first encounter is still, still fresh on their hearts and their minds. But they took offense at him, is what the, the ESV says. And then Jesus quotes to them, just reminding them, verse 4, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family, right? Sometimes we appreciate others more than we appreciate the ones that are closest to us. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's true to a certain extent. Maybe we don't show the ones who are closest to us the appreciation that they are deserving of. And it becomes, sometimes it's a little easier for us to heap praise upon strangers than those who are closest to us. We can compliment others all day long. But when it comes time to complimenting those who are closest to us, maybe a spouse, it's hard for us to do that sometimes, which is really weird which is a really weird thing. Or maybe complimenting our children on a job well done. We can compliment people we don't know or aren't that really close to, or maybe you don't have history with. But Jesus says, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives. Among his relatives and his own family. Verse 5, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. In verse 6, here's the kicker to the whole thing. And he, Jesus, was amazed at their unbelief. Right? It's, it's, listen to how the ESV phrases that last part of this. It says, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few, just a few sick people, and he healed them. Verse 6 in the ESV says, and he, Jesus, marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. There are times in the Gospels where Jesus marvels at individuals' faith. He marvels at their faith. But it's very fascinating to see within this story that he marvels at their unbelief. And, and, and if I can just have one application point with you guys today, it's this. Man, give Jesus something to marvel at, but don't let it be your unbelief. Let it be your faith in who he is. Right? If you, if you want Jesus to marvel at anything concerning you, may it be your belief, your faith in him, and not your unbelief. Don't hinder the work of Jesus within your life because of your unbelief. 
right? That seems like a very clear lesson within the story here. The people of Nazareth, they could have had, they could have experienced many more miracles, it seems like what this story is saying. But because of their unbelief in who he was, and it wasn't like, just like, oh, they didn't have enough faith. They, they despised who he was. They never appreciated who he truly was. We know that from the first story, that they tried to kill this guy. But then he shows back up again in an act of grace, and he is going to heal some people. But he isn't, he's not able to do the, all the miracles that he maybe had intended to, or maybe wanted to, I guess. But he marveled. He was amazed at their unbelief. Amazed at their unbelief. Listen, when Jesus shows up, welcome him in. <laughs> welcome him in. Treat him the way he deserves to be treated. And that is as the king of kings and as lord of lords, as your savior, as your savior. Trust in him. Place all your faith in him. He is good. He may not answer your prayers like you want him to answer your prayers or like you think he should answer your prayers. But he knows what's best for you. He knows how to take care of his own. So I, I would pray that we marvel at how awesome he is, how amazing he is, in the fact that he shows up and that he continues to show up within our lives. It's amazing. It's incredible. And so this little story here is just, it, it's just a fascinating one. And it precedes, you know, him sending out the 12 apostles and all that good stuff. That's where we're going to be. What we'll be covering next week is he's going to commission his 12 disciples to, to go out. And then in the midst of that, you know, then, then John the Baptist will end up, word will get back to Jesus that John the Baptist has died. But man, here Jesus is showing up for the second time back to his hometown. You know, the first time they try to kill him, but he's, he shows back up again, does what he does best, shows up, teaches the word, and they despise him. They despise him because they think they know who he is. They don't really know who he is. He's just the son of Joseph and Mary. No, he's the son of God. He's the son of God. And I would hope that you don't miss that today whether you're sitting in this room or whether you're listening online or listening to the radio broadcasts of this, do not miss who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is Yeshua. And he loves you. And he died on the cross for your sins to save you, to save you. And he rose from the grave. That's who he is. He's not just some son of a carpenter. He's the Savior. He's the beloved son of God, whom was sent to this earth to die on the cross for my sins and for your sins. Do not miss who he is. And don't allow your bitterness to blind you from the fact that he is here. He is present. And maybe he's trying to speak to you right now. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And we'll close up the service. But appreciate everybody here listening and listening online or listening to the radio broadcast. Just a little shout out to all you guys listening to the radio broadcast. We love you guys so much. Even though I have no idea who you are, um, we appreciate you so much and your generosity and in your giving, but also just, just in listening. We really do 
thank you for that. And we pray that these messages, that these teachings are making some sort of impact within your life. And, and if they're doing anything, that they would be causing you to grow more in love with Jesus, right? So may he be magnified, may he be glorified, and may we just know how to decrease so that he can increase. We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.